Amen. You may be seated. Good to see everybody this morning and uh, yeah, sing what a, what a great song. What do we do to deserve this love? Certainly nothing on our own. Um, thankful for what Christ has done for us. And um, <clears throat> this morning, I just want to share a couple of things. Uh, we had the opportunity to um, go to a conference yesterday that Word of Life uh, put on and um, Dave and Rachel were there, uh, Aubrey was able to come too, and uh, all of our children's ministry team. Um, so I want to thank you guys for being a part of that, if you were able to. Uh, it was an encouraging day. I know a lot of the leaders in Western New York um, for Word of Life um, just hadn't been able to get together in the last couple of years, so there was a big group of people um, that met and, uh, and learned and uh, worked on some things together uh, just to continue to be able to minister to kids in our area. So it was a special time for us. Uh, and today, um, we're continuing in our series, so we're in our series, Why, and uh, my name is Michael, and I'm the pastor here, just in case you didn't know, uh, maybe in case you're visiting with us online. Uh, if you're a visitor, then uh, we always love to have you here and uh, want to welcome you here too, okay? Uh, and so we've been in this series, Why? Um, we ask a lot of why questions in life. Sometimes uh, we don't always get the answers that we want. Uh, we ask, why did this difficult thing happen? Why did this good thing happen? Uh, and all the questions in between, um, and if you've had... Uh, little kids around you for any length of time, uh, you know the why questions can be endless. <laughs> uh, well, you answer one, and then they just keep, you know, how do you keep coming up with more why questions, right? That's a good place to start with a, with a little kid. So why this? Why is the sky blue? Why is the sun there? So, uh, but today, uh, we're going to jump into, I think, a little bit more difficult topic. We've asked why about a lot of things, and today we'll talk about why death. Why does death exist? Um, how do we um, process that? Many times we get this wake-up call, uh, that when a loved one has passed away or maybe a friend, uh, we are rudely awoken to the fact that death is a part of life. Uh, And it's difficult, isn't it? Uh, Many times people say, and I've heard them say, well, you know, um, know, God's taken away the sting of death. And and they quote a passage that has more to do with eternal life and where we'll be in heaven all together, you know, celebrating. And, And where God does take those things away, he takes away tears, he takes away death and the result of all that. But right now, even as believers, we still live under the effect of the fall, under sin. Uh, And so that's what I want to talk about, just kind of how we progress from that into this attitude of uh, viewing eternal life in this way that we can actually experience life right now. Okay? And I love the the quiet time, too, for today. We talked about that yesterday, um, that we would be sanctified in the truth. There's a lot of untruth out there, isn't there? Um, And I'm glad that we can come to this place and we can hold to an objective source of truth. It doesn't have to do with how we feel at the time because, uh, well, if that's the way we were gauging things or doing life, then um, we'd probably make a lot of bad choices, wouldn't we? Um, So a world around us screams that um, truth is relative, like Matt said, and it's not. And thank goodness, um, because if I was the ultimate source of of authority for my life, things would go bad. And um, we always turn back to God's Word, and we say, why? Why, God? Why is death a part of the equation? Because sometimes we need a wake-up call. Maybe we don't need to wait until somebody else has passed away to sit there and go, maybe we should think about what really matters, okay? And so I want to ask this question, what are you really afraid of? What are you afraid of in life? Uh, Because it coincides. Uh, Most people, if you were to ask them, there would be within the top five speaking in front of people, right? So that's normally number one, speaking in front of people, and then death would probably be a close number two if it wasn't number one. Uh, And so as we go through this, this is something that we all experience, right? And from time to time, I've had everybody from little kids to people who are literally on their deathbed have said, I'm afraid of death. 
And the truth is that at different phases of life, we will experience that. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm a little bit afraid. But where does our hope, where does our confidence come from? Approaching that point in life, we go, we have eternal life. And there's a spiritual death that we're going to talk about as well, that we won't have to suffer if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, okay? And so I want to talk about just my first experience um, with death, at least that I can remember. Um, I was um, on the way to a funeral for my step-grandfather. I was on a, a Texas back road heading to uh, College Station, Texas, and uh, our old Ford Thunderbird, 1986. Uh, Ford Thunderbird had a small block V8, so love that car. It sits in my parents' garage to this day. And um, just think about it from time to time because it's the vehicle that I gave my life to the Lord in. And as we were driving down the road, I was talking to my dad, and I was like, this whole death thing, it's got me worried. <laughs> and uh, you know, he said, well, Michael, that's normal. You know, you want to talk about it? And so we, you know, we went back and forth, and, and he shared the gospel like he had done many times before, and I'd heard it at church. But there was that moment when we were going to that funeral, and I was going, there's going to be somebody there, a friend, a relative uh, who I cared about. And my question was, where are they? Where are they after death? So my dad walked me through that, and I said, Dad, I need to make that decision. He was like, okay, let's pull over. So we pull over on the side of the road, and in that place, I gave my life to the Lord. And, and so I, I think many times, in the same way, we come to this realization that um, life is serious, right? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And as we think about death, we have to realize that there's something beyond it, right? And, and most people, if you would ask them just walking down the street, hey, do you think that one point, at some point, you will die? Most people will probably say, yeah. And when you ask them, do you think that there's anything after life? Most people, even if they're not believers, would say, I think, yeah, there's probably something else. The percentage of atheism in the world today is actually a lot lower than what most people think. Uh, most people believe in something. And even if they say, I don't believe in anything, but I want something good to happen after I die. I don't know what it is, but I prefer. And, and if we're being honest, when we ask those questions, a lot of people would say, I think probably the good things that I've done outweigh the bad things. And in some way, I think God may owe me. And when we look at a passage like this in Romans, uh, all those things get debunked, right? When we look at this passage in Romans, we go, there's, there's nothing that we could possibly do to merit God's favor. There's nothing we could do to deserve his love, like we sang about. And that should be reassuring for us, right? That should be the fact that we're not the masters of our own destiny, right? That we, we've heard that many times before, that we can't um, control God, that we can't just make this happen on our own, right? Um, and so for, for you, whenever that was, maybe you haven't made that decision, we'll talk about that today, but for me it was about 26 years ago, side of a Texas road, gave my life to the Lord because I realized that death was a serious thing, and eternal life, where you go after you die, doesn't matter, okay? And it's a part of life, so um, we'll be in Romans chapter 5, so go ahead and turn there if you have not, and... Um, I just want to touch on a little bit of the background here. So, um, you know, Paul writes the book of Romans. He's, uh, he cares a lot about the Romans. He knows there's this group of people in Rome, and he wants to go to Rome, and he wants to, uh, at, the, at the end of his life or towards the end of his life, when he's sharing the gospel, he keeps appealing to people who are higher up in the Roman government. Eventually, he finds himself in this place where the gospel has reached the emperor's ear. And you can think of somebody who was like, the most, most successful in missionary journeys. He took all these journeys, and when he's writing this to the Romans, it's around 57 AD, and he's uh, in this place where he's waiting out the winter, right? So, you know, here, <laughs> winter, it's like we just keep doing life, right? You know, it's different when you come from Texas, and, you know, it's like it starts getting icy or wintry, you know, the temperature drops too far, you know, everybody just stays home. You don't do anything. Here, 
That would be impossible. So we just keep doing life. In the ancient world, it was similar. So uh, they, they, they would not be able to travel super far distances, right? They didn't have the cars insulated with heat and all that. Uh, so they have to wait. So Paul's sitting here. He goes, what am I going to do? And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes to the church in Rome, which would have been all house churches. Um, by the way, they didn't have like a really huge, like awesome, you know, auditorium or place that they could all gather to worship. They were in house churches. So 10 people here, 15 there, 20 there, 30 there. And they would meet, and Paul was writing to them because he knew that this group of people needed direction. They needed theological instruction. So um, he's writing them going, I know this is a group of Gentile believers. They don't have Jewish background for the most part. Uh, and so they're not sure what the law is. They don't know what the history of God and his people are. I'm going to send them a word of encouragement and of instruction and of truth. And that's what we need today. We need to be instructed and sanctified in the word. That's what Paul was doing. And so if we look at kind of the context of this, uh, Romans chapter 4, if we look in the passage uh, before, um, we see that uh, faith is, is justified through what God has done for us. So again, it's not anything that we've done. And Paul wants to lay this out because what do we do? Even as believers, at times we go, well, I do these good things. So does God owe me? And if we're being honest, there's times where we still ask those questions and we go, God must owe me something, but he doesn't owe us anything, right? We owe him everything, okay? And that's why we worship him. That's why we serve him. And then in Romans 6, we see that there's this question asked about sin. So if God gives grace freely and like, it's nothing that we can do to deserve it, then it's like a get out of jail free card, right? Yeah. Uh, no, that's not how it works either. So Paul says, should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? He says, no. We should not be able to do that as believers. Now, and then you're thinking, well, like, man, it's been a rough week. I've made some mistakes, and that's okay it's because sin abounds, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, but we can't have this perspective that we can just do whatever we want. We can dishonor the Lord. We can trample underfoot the grace that he's given us. So that brings us to where we're at today. Um, and the first one in the blank is the physical death, the physical death, um, and so this reminds us that there's an urgency to make a decision in life. And, and I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That, you guys know that's not me. And so I won't get here and start yelling at you. You know, if you've not made that decision, then you're going to be separated from God forever. And that's just the truth. And so we have to deal with this reality of physical death. And um, I don't know if you've been in the room when that's happened before, but that's a difficult thing, right? When life leaves somebody, there's a very different presentation. And I don't, I don't want to describe it to you today. And maybe you haven't experienced that, then praise God for that. But if you have, it's a very different setting, right? So somebody's gone, you know they're gone, right? It's not a question. And so being in that setting, being with family um, and church members um, in that place, it's a difficult place to be. And many times you, we don't really have the words, right? Uh, words don't really make things better in that situation. But what we do know is that when that takes place, if somebody's put their faith and trust in Jesus, what does the word tell us? Being sanctified by the truth, the Word tells us we are absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. And so we have some hope in this. Now we, we have to deal with the reality of it because what do most people do, like in the world? We're constantly trying to affect the aging process. Nobody's found the fountain of youth, right? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, so and nobody's found that, but we're always trying to you know, poke and prod and prim and do whatever we can to make it appear as though we're not still aging, right? Or if we're just turning back the clock, right? We're, you know, we're, we're not really fooling anybody, but, uh, but we try to turn that back in the hopes that, you know, I'm not really getting closer to death. I'm not really getting closer to that point, but we're always working closer in that direction. So we got to deal with this reality, right? Um, so this is all, again, because we, we go back to the fall in this series, we ask the why question. Um, you know, it's interesting when a kid asks why. Now I think, as we go through the series, it's because of the fall. 
Now, we can make an easy, easy answer of it's because of the fall. And there are a lot of answers that we can give in regards to this that make a lot of sense. But we'll go through the text. Because of the fall, keep that in mind. In verse number 12, in chapter 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. So what takes place in the um, garden? Adam and Eve, they're there. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. Because it says, through one man. What was the setting? Adam and Eve were there. Serpent started talking to Eve. And what did man do? What did Adam do? Uh, what's going on? Uh, nothing? Oh, 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 I'm sorry. What? Oh, did you? Wait, you just said take of the tree? Oh, well, I guess I should too. And, and so they both took of that apple, right? And, and they knew, right? They knew the truth. And God and Adam, who was there, was being passive. And I can't tell you how much damage um, for our culture and for Christianity that, that passive husbands and men have done because they just they heard something that was not the truth. They weren't being sanctified in the truth. And they said, eh, it's not a big deal. Or it doesn't matter. It's not, you know. And, and we find ourselves in this place, right, like Matt talked about, a man women, a women, winning an event for women. Uh, it's just sad, right, at the university level that that takes place. But the world around us, and they see those things too, and they go, something's not matching up. Well, what do we have? We have the truth. And so we know this is where this comes from. But I want to just challenge you, um, especially guys in the room, as we read this, that there's great consequences, isn't there, for, um, for a man not stepping up, for a husband not leading. And so we have to be aware of that there's both the physical and the spiritual death, but we're talking about just the physical right now. And then in verse 13, there's really, I think, more of a question for us posed, and we have to understand it within the whole context of this passage. Verse 13, it says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And, and this has been a big text, a big passage that's been debated for many years. Uh, and so the simple answer to this, are people responsible for their sin? Because I know you're thinking it. Responsible for their sin between the time of Adam and Moses? The answer is yes. Now we go back to events like the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah. And we think about things that God's going, hey, isn't right. Given a warning, something's going to happen. Okay, and so God still, he, he judged sin during that time, and man was still responsible for that. We can go back to places like uh, you know, Romans 1 and 2, where God, uh, through Paul, will say to the churches, uh, there's no excuse for seeing God, uh, seeing the things that are around us, and not going, there is a God, and there is some form of absolute truth that I need to seek after. Okay? And so people were responsible. We see that God does judge sin. And I, and I always think it's interesting. Christy and I did student ministry for a number of years uh, before coming here and doing the lead pastorate, and kids would always ask me. They'd read the Old Testament, they'd read the New Testament, and they'd say, what happened to God? <laughs> I was like, well, he was silent for a while. He was being patient. He was you know, getting ready for Jesus to come, send Jesus, and in that time, nothing changed. His nature, his character, none of those things changed. And when Jesus entered the scene, he became this propitiation. He became this sacrifice for our sins. And so God has to judge rightly sin no matter what. Right? So from the very beginning, he made that standard clear. Hey, don't take from the tree. And now because you've done that, there's going to be this destruction in humanity. There's going to be physical death. So uh, we've got that going on. And, and we always ask these questions, too, you know, about death. Why does this happen? Why do we experience this? Why do young people die? I think that's probably the most, one of the most difficult things for us, too. Like we, if somebody is older and um, they've been sick and they pass away, you know, nobody, maybe some people will still get upset about that, but they go, that's normal. But what about when somebody younger passes away? I think we 
have a difficult time dealing with that. I think God gives us hope for that too, because um, as you know, uh, Christy and I uh, suffered a miscarriage in the fall, um, and God's blessed us with another child um, that we're excited about. It's on the way. It's going to be here in June. And, um, and we ask those questions like, why, God, do those things happen? And I think God gives us encouragement too because we discuss like the results of sin and the fall and how God still judges that from the time of Adam to Moses. These other questions pop up too and came across a passage um, that David, he spoke. Um, it's kind of an interesting interaction, Second Samuel um, twelve twenty three. Because um, we want to understand God's grace too in all this. We see his judgment like when God flooded the world, we're like, wow, that was harsh. But God judges sin wherever it is. Uh, and so here in Second Samuel twelve twenty three, I want to read this passage, just talk about it for a moment before we move on. It says, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And so David, in this relationship that he's had with Bathsheba, which was an adulterous relationship, uh, this child that was produced out of this relationship died. And it was pretty early on in infancy, and the child got sick, and, and David's fasting, and he's praying, and he's saying, you know, don't, you know, don't allow this to happen, Lord. And he does. And then what does he do? Well, he stops fasting, he starts eating, and people are confused by this, and he says, like, why aren't you still distraught? Well, I'm sure he was still sad, and that was difficult, but, but he says, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. He will not return to me. And so I, I think we need hopes in times, too, where we go, well, what about somebody who, you know, is a child or an infant or somebody in the womb who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus? And sometimes we discount God's mercy in those spaces. And I think even for uh, for a guy like David, who is a man after God's own heart, um, I want to take his word for all this too. So we look back to the Old Testament, we see like Adam to Moses, and we go, God, you, you still judges sin, and there still has to be an answer for that. And if you remember in the book of Hebrews too, we went through that in the quiet time recently, uh, when, when God is talking about people in the Old Testament who, by the way, Jesus hasn't come yet, there are people in the Old Testament who are these great characters of faith who uh, it says that, that righteousness was counted to them, right? Because of why? Because of their faith. So how do people have faith before Jesus comes? Um, this is one of the most difficult things that I think you'll deal with in theology and something that I, I spent a lot of classes going through. I've written papers on it. And I, uh, after all of that, um, I don't think it gets any easier to understand. But the truth of understanding sin from Adam to Moses and understanding God's grace is that he does have grace. And he pours it out over and over and over again. It gives people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and in the light of Romans 1 and understanding that people can still have faith, right? In a Jesus who hasn't come yet, we trust that he understands that. And he's got it under control, and he still extends grace. Um, so the answer is yes, people are still responsible during that time period. And now in verse 14, we see that sin did reign from Adam to Moses. It said, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was of a type of one who was to come. So we see this word type here. Where we, um, in Romans, Paul likes to do this. It's a little bit confusing, but he talks about these different characters, and he said, Adam's a type of individual. He's a type of man, and Adam himself was this, was this foreshadowing of what it would be like to have this perfect individual who would rescue everyone. Adam was the one who brought sin, right? We're going to get into that more, and Jesus was the one who brought salvation. So you got one man, one act caused sin and destruction for all mankind. You have one man, Jesus, who entered the scene, and, and not, you know, he's, he's fully God that never changed, but you, can you imagine being born as a baby, 
and being fully God, living a life of, of being bound, right, to the flesh and then dying a death that you know, he, he didn't have to. I mean, he's sitting up in heaven, he's looking down, he's going, this was the plan from the beginning, that we would show God's people, our people, that we care about them. And we come down and rescue them. So sin was reigning, death was reigning. And what was the response to this? Well, Paul talks about it in the next section. So we've got this physical death that we have to recognize. We have to deal with. We can't get away from it, right? Unless God decides to rapture his church. That's the next event we believe on the timeline. So if he decides to do that, more power to you, God. <laughs> We're fine with that. Uh, but if you don't, if he tarries, you know, we've heard that word before. If the Lord tarries, then we steal with, deal with the effects of sin in the fall, death, and the destruction that causes ailments, everything else that goes along with that, life and aging. And then we get to the spiritual death, which is far worse than uh, the physical death, right? We'll experience even as believers. So here's the spiritual death. It should be up there. Fill in the blank. The spiritual death, which is worse than the physical death. In verse 15, uh, we see that grace and sh- the grace and the transgression are compared. So which is greater? The grace is greater, right? That's the good news, right? So the transgression is bad, and it affects everything. But grace is so much better. So it says in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more will have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So here's the good news. We've got this free gift. In the Greek, it's the, char- the charisme. Uh, it just means the favor with which one receives without any merit of, its, of their own. Um, isn't that good news, right? We, we kind of spend our lives like um, seeking favor and gaining merit. You know, we, we go to school, uh, we do the best that we can, we try to get a good job, we make a decent amount of money, at least to make a living, and we go like, I've merited these things, I've done these things, I've gone to school, I've worked hard, I've got this good job, I've worked hard there, and so maybe you've gotten a promotion, and we think, I've done well, so therefore I've merited these things, right? And in some way, working hard, those kind of things, those are biblical principles as well, all throughout the Proverbs, you know, hey, don't be lazy. Your things are not going to go, all right? We should work hard. That should be part of life. Uh, and, you know, David talked about this several weeks ago too, work. So why do we do that? Because it honors the Lord. Uh, we've been given this free gift. Why? We didn't do anything to deserve it, right? And this is really kind of simple gospel. Um, you can't put on a, let's say you had a scale. Um, Alana's got this little scale. It teaches math. We've got these little monkeys, we put on one side. You got these numbers that are weighted. And so we put it on the table and we go, okay, here's number seven, right? Now, count how many monkeys you need to get to seven. So we put those monkeys on there and they equal out. They balance out. It's kind of a cool little tool. And uh, so as we, as we do that, think about this. Many times in the world, hopefully not us, we think that this balance of a good works compared to God's merit or favor with us somehow matters in the scale of eternity and our spiritual standing. So we'll go, even if we won't say it, we'll go, God, you know, I give to the church. God, I serve in the church. God, I help that lady across the street. So therefore, things should be in my favor, right? I should be merited your favor. And, and if you look throughout the scriptures, we see that, that even our righteous deeds are filthy rags. Now, the good news is God still says, hey, continue to worship me, serve me. This should be an outflow of your love, but don't think that you merit favor, that somehow you can be good enough to receive grace and my love. Because what does he do? He gives it to us freely. Again, we don't deserve it. So if we're being sanctified in the truth, we read this and we have to understand that we didn't do anything, right, to deserve it. As kids, we grow up, we wake up on Christmas morning and there's gifts there, right, you know, normally. And um, what do we do? Do we pay for those? No, we didn't. Gifts given by parents, good gifts, right? The scripture talks about that too, that a parent would give good gifts. What does God give us though? He 
gives us the greatest gift, and it's this free gift, this charisma that we don't deserve. There's nothing that we could do, and it's greater than the trespass. So we see this word here for trespass. It says, for if many died through the one man's trespass, this word paratimeo uh, means a lap or deviation from the truth. We talked about that today in the quiet time. So, so where are we at? We want to be sanctified in the truth because what happens? As people, as individuals, even as believers, we, we make deviations, don't we? We trespass God's perfect law, and we make mistakes, and then we, we, we realize, oh, no, what have I done? Well, we've trespassed. We've, we've done something wrong, right? We've gone against the truth, so we need to get back to that place. But luckily, the free gift is different. It's not like the trespass. It's much, much better. And in verse 16, uh, the results of this trespass and of grace are made clear to us. So again, Paul's writing to a group of people that they have no concept of this. They, they're still thinking like, do good things, God will love me. Do good things, probably get into heaven, right? Do good things, etc. And so it says in verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And so here's the good news. Now, what does this free gift do for us? Well, it gave us justification. We've heard that word before, condemnation. Paul talks about that throughout the book of Romans. And the good news is he says, uh, hey, uh, for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Have you ever walked into, I mean, especially this place, and I get this all the time just because of what I do for a living. You know, people will talk to me and like, I could never go to church. I'm like, well, why? Why not? Just, I've done too many bad things. And I'm like, yeah, you and me both. So if you can't go in there, I certainly shouldn't go in there, right? And so I know, but we all walk into this place. We have a couple of different perspectives. We'll say, I am good enough. God, I'm here. My name's on the book. When I walk in, you know, we're expecting to be, you know, greeted by God. And just thank God's like, thank you for showing up. I just, you know, if you didn't come here, I don't know what the other people would do, right? Some of us have that perspective. Other of us, we, like we walk in here and we're just like weighted down by the sin and the difficulty of the week, right? We know we made bad choices and we're like, oh, we don't even deserve to be here. Well, none of us do, right? So this free gift, it overrode this transgression in our lives. And, and Paul's saying, hey, condemnation is not a part of the equation when you belong to Jesus. Isn't that good news? doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what you will do. Jesus says, I've taken care of it. And we get to verse 17. It says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I like what Matthew Henry said about this verse. He said, In and by the righteousness of Christ, we have not only a charter of pardon, but a patent of honor. So we walk into this place not condemned as those who don't know Jesus, not condemned as those who, when we experience a physical death, will be separated from God forever. We walk in as those who don't walk in condemnation. Those who walk in freedom. Those who walk in grace. We walk into this place. So here are a couple of acts that take place that Paul's trying to help us understand uh, through this one man, through one terrible act, sin into the world, right? So now we're covered by this and it affects our lives. But what did Jesus do? Well, he gives us this ability to conquer sin and death. And I know we, we're like walking in things that maybe we've struggled with historically, and I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's anger um, or lust or just fill in the blank. And you can go, I can't get away from this. What has Jesus done for us? He's going, you're not, you're not bound to it. You are not surrounded by condemnation. What does Satan do? He whispers in our ear and he goes, 
you'll never get away from it. You never get away from it. You never be able to walk in freedom. You never be able to walk in grace. And Paul's trying to help the church. He's saying, you don't have to live like that. I mean, what a crushing burden, right? That, that we would think that like the scale of our life is somehow, like if I, if I can't do enough good things, if I can't get God's favor, if I, man, I will not walk into church unless it's been a perfect week. Unless I've always <laughs> treated my wife well, unless I've you know, taken care of the kids, unless I've, you know, fill in the blank. Because we put these ridiculous expectations on our life. And God's going, I didn't say any of that. So why are you doing it? Stop walking in condemnation, okay? Uh, so let's keep going. Here's the last one. Eternal life. This is pretty easy today, right? Uh, we've got the physical death, the spiritual death, and eternal life, which is the consequence of the decisions that we make in life. We're confronted with death, the reality of physical death, and we have to make a decision about spiritual death. Like, where will we end up? Are we going to stand before God? And he's going to go, your name's in the book. I don't care what you've done in this life. You've got a place in heaven. And then this bridge gap, I love this. I've used it a lot of the time. And from the point of Adam where sin entered the world, we've got to have this bridge. And who is that? Well, it's Christ. Now, people in the Old Testament believed and they had faith and it was counted to them as righteousness. And us who sit on the other side of the cross by 2,000 years, we're able to look back and go, Man, I mean, like, like what Matt said, there's something that's different about what we believe, right? We can't do enough good things. We can't be monks and go to heaven, right? You can't, you can't live a certain way and expect that to happen. But what separates us from the rest of the world, Jesus said, where I'm going, I'm preparing a place for you, and it's ready. And the disciples didn't get that at first. They were going, oh, Jesus, don't go. Like Peter's, you know, he cuts the guy's ear off, right? We're about to read in that in John, you know. He's in the garden. He's praying for us. And they're like, you will not take him. He's like, you don't understand. This is what has to take place to be the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we can have eternal life. And we can experience the benefits of that now. It's like we don't understand the significance of Adam's one act there and the one act of Jesus and how he just like, in a moment, what did he do? Well, he took care of all of it. Verse 18, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. There's that word again. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And I was thinking about this. There's, there's been a lot of one-act plays, and I don't know a lot about like the arts and that kind of thing. I like going and watching stuff. I can't act. So, you know, let's say, you know, you were like the, maybe in school you were like the tree or the rock or something. <laughs> that was me. No lines, right? Uh, and so there's all these one-act things, pretty short plays. They actually originated in ancient Greece. Um, one of the first ones that was recorded was Cyclops. It was written by Euripides, and it was very, very popular. So short plays, people like to come in, get a good show. Let's go. We can still make dinner, right, uh, before the night's over. And so we, we lose sight, though, of the significance of the one-acts, right, that, that Adam through this one act, allowed sin to enter the world. And it's caused a whole lot of destruction, right? A whole lot of evil, a whole lot of just terrible things that we still see today. War and destruction. People taking advantage of others. And so through this one act, this took place. But through the one act of Jesus, what did he do? Well, he made salvation available to all people, right? And he overcame sin and death. And then in verse 19, it says, "'For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners.'" So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Sinners and righteous, now we're both affected. Now again, when we think about sinners, we go, not us, <laughs> right? We don't walk in condemnation, that's true, but we still make mistakes. So we've got to come to this place with, uh, without pride, right? With humility, um, we come and we worship God together, and we want to be sanctified in the truth, but that can't puff up. Right? The Word talks about that too, that we would understand the knowledge of truth, that we would be sanctified it 
by it, which would not make us prideful, which should make us more humble, right? <laughs> that we would read the word, we would understand the truth, and we'd go, wow, we don't have to walk in condemnation. Man, God's forgiven me for so much. And he's forgiven everybody else too, if they would just believe. So, verse 20, now the law came to increase the trespass, where, but where sin increased, grace, grace abounded all the more. And so what happens? The Pharisees were confused by this in their interaction with Jesus. They knew the law. And like, if you don't do the right thing, you're not in good standing with God. And so what do we see here? Well, the law did increase the trespass. It made people more aware of their sin. But what happens? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Jesus is like, hey, good. You're aware of sin? You're aware you need a savior? Good news. I'm here and I've taken care of it. You don't have to walk under all those weight-crushing burdens of being perfect. I mean, nobody can, right? Sometimes we feel like that. If we're not, then, you know, we can't, you know God must not love us, but he loves us no matter what. It's like um, what I tell our kids um, whenever maybe they've done something that's not right. I mean, can you imagine that? Your kids never do that, do they? <laughs> so when it happens, what, what do we do? One of the first things I say before there's any consequences, before there's any punishment, say, there's nothing that you could ever do that would make me stop loving you. And God in the same way, right? We don't have a perfect love, right? We get annoyed, we get angry, we don't treat our kids right at times, we don't, we don't manage that well, but, but we really try and we try to say, no matter what you do, we'll still love you. There's nowhere you could go, there's no distance you could get to that I wouldn't care about you and I wouldn't love you no matter what. So Jesus does this perfectly through what he's done for us on the cross. And then in verse 21, we'll finish it out here. It says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, Robert Muntz said this in the New American Commentary, death is the fate of all who follow sin as master. Eternal life is the destiny of those whose allegiance is to Christ. A right standing before God is a gift offered freely by God to all those who will respond in faith. Now, this should take a huge amount of weight off of us, shouldn't it? Now, maybe if you've never, and you're in here, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you've just been walking around just like crushed by all your mistakes in life. And maybe as a believer, you walk in here too, and you're just like, I just feel like you know, I need to be better. Like, I just am not honoring the Lord. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's just conviction. But we still can't walk in that weight-crushing condemnation. And, and Paul talks about it several times. If we're sanctified by the truth, we've got to listen to this, and we've got to go, I'm not being crushed by the weight of my mistakes, right? Because I know we all walk in here and do with different burdens, different you know, anxieties and worries and mistakes that we made. And I don't want you to walk out of here not being sanctified by the truth. Because we read that this morning in the quiet time. We hear the words that Paul speaks to the church in Rome. And it, it shouldn't be a wake-up call for us when somebody we care about passes away. It should be, here's how we know and follow God always. Here's how we know we don't walk under the punishment of sin and destruction in our lives. Now, it still affects everything, doesn't it? We still get sick. Cold and flu season's been awesome, by the way. I'm sure you've experienced that. And with kids at home, you know, no matter what, something's going to get to the house and everybody's going to get it, right? So we experience that. And we're going like, oh, man, God, at times it's hard. We wish there weren't these things that happened. But the good news is, ultimately, we die. We stand before God, justified, not condemned. And we don't have to walk through this life condemned either. So I want to close with an illustration, an example. I hope it's up there. I kind of added it last minute. I was thinking about it um, yesterday, actually. And it was a video I used a couple of years ago, actually. Um, one of my favorite animated movies. Might surprise you, so um, take a look if we have it up there. 
You like making deals? Take me in Meg's place. The son of my hated rival trapped forever in a river of death. Going once. Is there a downside to this? Going twice. Okay, 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 okay. You get her out. She goes. You stay. I won't show you the rest of that. Uh, I love this illustration that, uh, you know, you can say, like, I don't like Disney movies. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but there's truths that we can grab from a lot of different things. Um, that's one of my favorite just um, accounts because what does it do? It illustrates for us what Christ has done for us. I love the perspective from Hades as well in there, um, the, what I envision as the Satan character. Jesus walks out of death and he says, I've conquered it all. And by the way, Satan, nobody's any longer bound to their sins. Nobody's going to walk in condemnation. I'm going to rescue everybody who puts their faith and trust in me. So what can we do? We can experience this life abundantly right now. We don't have to live under this weight-crushing destruction of our sin. Now we certainly experience the results of making bad choices and eventually physical death where we stand before God. But the good news is, we can walk in confidence, right? We can walk in assurance that God has given us a great faith. And maybe, I don't know, um, I love that. He punches him in the face. I just love like thinking like, man, Satan. You know, Jesus punched Satan in the face. You know, he's done it over and over again. He's going to deal a final blow too where you know, I see him you know, popping him into the lake of fire and vision that um, where there's still the effects of sin and destruction. I get that. Uh, but man, Jesus is waiting. He's like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to take care of it once and for all, right? That's good news for us. But maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And maybe for you, you're just like, I don't know where I'm going to go. Like I might, like that Meg character, I'm stuck there. I'm stuck. I'm going to be separated from God forever. There's no bridge to heaven for me. I can't get in. The good news is you can. All you got to do is admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins. And see, confess with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life. Maybe you just need to take another step in believer's baptism or just getting plugged into the church, becoming a member somewhere. Um, I'd love to encourage you to do that too, if maybe you've already made that first-time decision, okay? So lots of walk in assurance and uh, confidence as we leave this place, um, knowing that Jesus is taking care of all of it. We don't have to walk in condemnation, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for this time to be here, the love that you extend to us. Um, that we don't deserve. Um, We're thankful for passages like this that as you talk about in your word, um, you yourself said as you prayed for us that you might sanctify us uh, in the truth. God, I pray that as the world um, just goes crazy all around us um, as it doesn't make sense, some of the things that go on, we pray you continue to pour over your word over us that we would be diligent and faithful to read it daily, um, that we would ask for your help every day to understand it. We come into this place, we're reminded, let's not wait for a wake-up call. Let's not wait for somebody else to pass away before we get serious about you, God. And before we get serious about understanding what the real physical death of this life entails, 
and that, God, we might make a spiritual decision now to put our faith and trust in you so that when we stand before you, God, it'll be a good reunion, um, that we can walk confidently in this life, not just knowing that we're going to have eternal life, um, not just fire insurance, God, uh, but we pray that um, you would allow us to live abundantly and confidently in this life now uh, because we're not under bondage. We're thankful for that. We don't walk in condemnation. I'm thankful that you've rescued us and that there's nothing that we could have done to do that. pray we would accept that free gift um, if we haven't already done it um, today. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Love you, church. Have a good Sunday. And uh, just remember as you're going out,